Welcome to the Make One Day Happen podcast. I'm your host, Sheena Jean. This podcast is designed to inspire, educate, and empower people to elevate their consciousness and activate their full potential. We share stories, ideas, and resources that support our listeners in their personal and professional growth by hosting meaningful conversations that spark aha moments. Laughing, learning, leveling up, all guaranteed. We'll be hearing from innovative thought leaders, CEOs, professional athletes, best-selling authors, musicians, and more as they share lessons they've learned along the way and ideas that can change the world. A great podcast doesn't happen without a great team, and we're proud to partner with Lost Range CBD and The Plug Agency to bring this show to life. So pull up a seat and let's get to it. Welcome to the Make One Day Happen podcast. I am so excited to be here. And um, my guest is Jordi Karlinski. She is an Aspen Roaring Fork local and former competitive snowboarder with a passion for community, mindfulness, and the great outdoors. Our paths crossed back in 2016 through the Lululemon community. And I can genuinely say that every conversation I've ever had with Jordy has always left me feeling inspired, connected, and amazed by her, and not to mention really motivated to get up to doing something for myself. So I am just thrilled to be able to welcome her to the show and to be able to share her awesomeness with you guys. So welcome, Jordy. Thanks, Sheena. That was such a delightful, humbling uh, introduction. You're so kind. All, all true things, all true things. And when it comes to making a podcast about vision and goals, you were obviously one of the very first people that popped into my mind. Um, I have come to more than one uh, workshop of yours and have always loved and felt really aligned um, with the practices that you teach and have um, been using throughout your life. And I'm really excited to talk about some of those today and share your story. And so I guess let's just get into it. Do you want to give us like your, your version of yourself, your little intro spiel? Sure. So I was born in California and my family moved out to Colorado in the Aspen snowmass area when I was about five years old. I started skiing in California when I was two uh, with my family, mom, dad, older brother, and older sister. And when we moved over to Colorado, snowboarding became a cool sport and my parents got into it and wanted us kids to get into it as well. And so we started snowboarding um, through the the ski co and also through Aspen Valley Ski and Snowboard Club. The kids did. And, you know, I think going, I didn't remember California. I, I was pretty young. I mean, I have memories for sure. But going from a beach girl to now the mountains, I think it was the perfect time in my life because I wasn't so set in certain hobbies. And Um, or, you know, I didn't know much about the mountains and I have my whole lifetime ahead of me to learn if I choose, chose to stay in the Aspen snowmass area, which I have. And so snowboarding for me as a kid, young kid was obviously really fun. Um, a lot have looking back, I've learned a lot of lessons through the sport, which we can, uh, dive into in a little bit, but I think the big thing for me as a kid was it was just, it got me outside. It got me with my family. It got me with friends. It got me to learn about new, new places, um, new skills, and also to like develop a, a really great set of friends that I, I still have to this day through Aspen Valley Ski and Snowboard Club. And so I, um, decided to start competing at the age of eight. And it started off with local events um, within the Aspen and Snowmass Four Mountains. And at the time, I mean, I was eight years old. Uh, it, there wasn't many young females mm. snowboarding at the time. And so I won everything. It was a pretty easy <laughs> uh, achievement, I guess. Um, but I will say I, over the years, um, within the next one or two years, when I was nine, ten. I started going to nationals and eventually started winning nationals. And through my 11, 12, 13, 14 
age group um, started winning and competing against some other females that were really at the top of their game as well. And so that was a really great challenge for me and something to look forward to as the season went on because nationals was in the springtime right before the season ended. So when I was in that age group again, like 11, 12, 13, I was winning nationals. I would then get invited to junior worlds uh, internationally and other international events for younger kids. And at this time I was competing, I learned to compete in all five disciplines, racing, slope style, half pipe and border cross. And as I got older, I went specifically towards the freestyle disciplines, half pipe, border cross and slope style. And so for many years of my life, I was competing in those three disciplines and um, internationally, again, with Junior Worlds and um, some other younger international events and did fairly well. I would podium occasionally. Um, I wasn't like winning everything, but it was a really good look at what the the international field is like in my age group and it, within my disciplines. So when it came time to go into high school, I happened to be doing, you know, really well in this, in a discipline called border cross, which is when multiple, multiple people go down together. Yeah. Let's, let's just pause here for the audience. If you guys don't know what border cross is, like after the episode, please go YouTube it because it's literally one of the most badass snow sports out there. It is no joke. It's no joke. Yeah, it does it not was, surprise me that you gravitated towards the most badass of the disciplines. Not shocking to me. You know, what I loved about border cross is it to be good at it. It really took a full range of skills. It wasn't just mm. that you had to be good at jumps. It wasn't just that you had to be good at turning. You had to be good at everything, um, mm. tur- you know, racing, the jumping, also speed aerodynamics like there was so much involved and then let alone like you're you can't really elbow but (laughs) yeah going down the course with (laughs) other people right behind you or right in front of you and so mentally you had to build this like mental toughness and kind of get over fear in a very like short amount of time and I remember you get counted down it go, they'll be like race if you're in the start gate and you have again three other females around you all within a foot the 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 starter will say racers ready five seconds and then within the five seconds you have no idea when the gate is going to drop and so you just go when the gate drops and and for me always border cross to this day was the discipline that made me the most nervous all the time because you have that un that you you don't know when you have to like drop in and then you're battling against three other people in one race and then you move up from like you know quarterfinals to semifinals to finals it goes in those brackets and it's all timed first one across the finish line wins there's no scoring and so I I really loved it um and I happened to be good at it. And I'm, and I really think because I had learned such a variety of skills when I was at Aspen Valley Ski and Snowboard Club, they really pushed that for many of the athletes was just to be a well-rounded snowboarder. And also I, I was very close to, to boys growing up. And, you know, again, I didn't have many females. They just weren't doing what I was doing. And I was, so I was exposed to a lot of riding with a lot of guys. And I think I kind of just developed like that. Well, it, I have to keep up with them kind of attitude and do what mm-hmm. they're doing in order to excel and to keep up. And so anyways, getting back to my timeline, um, I, in high school, I was, I was named to the U S snowboard team for border cross and it was a, obviously an incredible accomplishment um, that I was really proud of. And I did that for about three or four years. And that's when I was able to compete in like the gravity games and world cups. That was my really first look into the professional international field and world cups, like going to Canada, going to even at Lake Placid in New York and um, Europe and all these places that were so incredible. 
I also did X Games locally in the backyard for in Aspen for about four years. And my best finish there was fourth place. And so I had a really good run at border cross. I just didn't love it. It wasn't my favorite discipline. Um, and also it's very dangerous. And I was just kind of like, well, maybe I want to, I want to get focused more on like my, my favorite discipline slope style. And so I retired from border cross, if you will, competing in it. And, and after that, I focused purely on half pipe and slope style and slope style for those who don't know is mostly jumps and rails. Every course is different and uh, you have your own creative freedom to put tricks together and land runs. And so I was really into that and I wasn't battling anyone going down the hill. Um, and of course, I still had, you know, the, the pre-competition anxiety and jitters and learned to deal with that. But uh, in 2014, the the slope style was it was its first year that what it was going to be a discipline in the 2014 Winter Olympics in Sochi, Russia. And so with that, the U.S. snowboard team created a U.S. snowboard team for slope style because before there was racing, there was border cross and there was half pipe, but there was no slope style segment. So in 2011, once we knew that slope style was in the Olympics, I think in 2010, but that next winter, they created a slope style team. And I was named to it just based off of competition results that I had accumulated over the past few years in slope style specifically. And I was a part of the first U.S. slope style team. And I believe at the time we only we had three girls and three boys. So it was a very intimate group. And we trained for the next three years with everyone with the goal to make the 2014 Winter Olympics. Come this winter of 2013 into 2014, the Olympics are hosted in February and the U.S. snowboarding, uh, U.S. Olympic qualifiers are basically hosted from middle of December to middle of January. I can't remember the exact uh, event count, but I believe there was five or six events within one month scattered between Colorado and California. And you had to place the the top four overall after all of these events were done to make the U.S. Olympic team. There was only four spots available for females and males. So there was, I mean, dozens of U.S. females competing for those four spots over the course of this month between December and January. And going into the very last event in Mammoth Lakes, California, it was kind of a it was a little bit of a hectic time because one of the events had gotten canceled in Colorado and then they had to squeeze like four events or three events together in Mammoth over the course of like four days. And it was, it was just a little bit <laughs> intense on top of already, already being, intense. being intense. Yeah. Yeah. And so there was a lot you had to, I mean, you were, you had to perform at your highest potential for four or five days straight. And it's, it's a lot. And especially when you have such a big goal of making the Olympics. And, um, and so with the last event, the last U S Olympic qualifier before the Olympic team was named, I was tied in fourth place. So I needed, I was tied. I, I needed to beat whoever I was tied with to actually secure my spot. And in slope style, they take the best of two runs. So you have two runs to perform, to land, to get a good score. They score out of 100. And if you follow your first run, that's okay. You just need to land your second run or vice versa. It's just one score that they take. And so I dropped in. I, I had, you know, maybe my strategy was off, but it had worked most of my life. I, I did like a safety run, something that I knew I could land. It was my last chance to make it. All I needed to do was just beat that teammate I was tied with to secure my Olympic team spot. So I did a run I was very comfortable with. Um, I knew it would still score me well. And I got an 87 points uh, score on that run on my first run. Then my teammate who I'm tied with comes down and scores an 89 on her uh. first run. So I knew like I knew I was off the team unless I beat an 89 on my second run. And so that hour between first and second runs was so difficult 
And it felt like a lifetime. And I mean, this is a very standard thing that we've dealt with for years competing that you have this time between first and second runs, the rest of the females will go, the rest of the males will go, and then it will get back to the top of the starting lineup. And so I had so much time between these first and second run, my first and second runs to think about like, okay, I'm off the Olympic team right now. As it stands, I have an 87. My teammate has an 89. She is technically beating me. Like I need to put down the run that I know I can. I know it can beat her because I had already in previous Olympic qualifying events. So I get into the starting gate and the starter at the top, you know, I exchange words with my coach. He obviously words of encouragement. And I just tried to like visualize myself from start to finish in that, in the start gate before I had dropped in. And I'm going down and there was a set of rails first. And so I did those, landed them clean. And as I'm going into the first jump switch, which is my opposite foot forward than what I normally ride. And I was doing this switch backside 540, which was the trick that was going to like bump my score up. I over rotated and fell. And looking back at that, all I remember, and I vividly remember, was telling myself, don't fall, don't fall, don't fall, going into that jump. Mm-hmm. And, of course, my mind only heard fall, 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 and I fell. And in that moment when my butt hit the snow, I like I just knew it was all over. And I didn't mm-hmm. have another chance. I couldn't make the Olympic team. It was official. I was done. I was first person out of the Olympic team. I missed it by two measly points. And so that was obviously a very challenging time for me. And that was in January, 2014. And I tried to, you know, the Olympics went on. It was obviously very tough to watch. Mm. I took probably a month and a half break from snowboarding and training and just, you know, needed to digest what had happened. And I tried to get back to training in March and April when the season before the season ended, I tried to do some contests and I just mentally was fried. I was physically fried. I was mentally fried. I didn't have it in me anymore. And I was, how old? I think I was um, 24 at the time. So, you know, in snowboarding, although it's young, it, it's kind of getting to the end of your career. Yeah. Middle-aged snowboarder. Middle East. Sadly enough. Sadly enough. <laughs> that's me. I thought um, that's what I was, but <laughs> I must be like a grandma snowboarder. <laughs> well, the things your body takes when you're younger is yeah, your body much is different. much more forgiving when you're younger. <laughs> I mean, if I, I there and don't get me wrong, there's plenty of wonderful men and women out there who are they're in their thirties still competing and doing these tricks and it's incredible. And not saying that you can't do that, but at the time, it just was my time. I, I knew I wanted to end my career. I didn't, I didn't want to snowboard another four years and train and compete. And, you know, as amazing as it was that career and that all those experiences I had with meeting people and traveling and I mean, getting to snowboard for fun, for a living, that was amazing. And I was just ready to, after that 2014 winter ended, I was ready to like put roots down and uh, go back to Aspen full time, which I was, but I was traveling so much and, you know, be with my family, be with my boyfriend and just start kind of a new life again. And so um, I retired from snowboarding in 2014. Again, it was a very rough, I would say year. Um, I was, had a very hard transition to the real world, if you will. I didn't know what I was good at. I didn't know what like skills I could have to get a new job. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And that took a lot of uh, soul searching, if you will. And um, as you mentioned in the intro, we we met through Lululemon and that's, I found a job at Lululemon in Aspen. And um, <laughs> over my course of a few years there, personal development kept coming up and up and up and vision and goals came up, up and up. And I was like, Oh, that's, you know, I love, I'm, I feel connected to this work just automatically. And I didn't know what it was, but after some like more searching, I was like, you know, being an athlete, there's a lot in common here with 
as an athlete, you don't think about it all the time, but like I, I say that I've been in my own personal development course for 16 years of my life at the, you know, until I was about 24 and with the goal setting, you know, the visualizations, the, the mindset, there's so much there that I have learned um, that I'm so grateful to have learned as an athlete that trans that could translate to my life. I just needed to figure out exactly how. And so I did a lot of the work on myself uh, with the self-development to like redefine my identity and just discover who I was outside of snowboarding. And, um, you know, that led me down that path. And we, I worked with a company called Light Your Leadership. I also did some mindfulness certifications outside of that. And that I, that's, that's who I am at my core. I feel that I feel so connected, like I've said to that work and it's always going to be, it's always a work in progress. Um, but I, I feel really lit up by it and I, I love it so much. And I did have a little stint where I coached athletes in competition and also when they were transitioning through their, from comp- being a competitor to again, the real world, once they had retired, and because I had been through that experience, I knew how challenging it was. And there honestly wasn't any tools when you when an athlete goes through that, in my experience. And I think that's something that I hope since I've retired has gotten better. Um, but mm-hmm. it's a very you're kind of just kicked out and on your own. And that didn't sit well with me looking back at it now. And um, so I coached a little bit and, you know, then that was about two years ago. And now I've, I've figured that, Hey, like I'm in Aspen, I want to continue to make a living here and have a great lifestyle. And so I realized that, and I also love being my own boss. Like, I think that's what being a personal coach taught me is that I love that the business development, I love the entrepreneurship and I love just what I put into my business is what I'm going to get out of it ultimately. And I'm in control. And so I, that is why I, I've made the switch to real estate where I'm at now. And, you know, there's so many things again that I I take from my past experiences and my personal development world into my business today and into who I am today. And, um, it's always, that's always going to be a part of me. And so that's where I'm at. That was a very long (laughs) intro. So I apologize, but Um, No apologies accepted because um, this was perfect. I mean, I've got a couple um, things that just from based on past conversations we've had, I knew I wanted to dig into with you, but I I certainly was also like furiously typing some things that came up because I just, I also hear like so many parallels and like what's going on in the world and um, just so many things. So I, can I take us back to some of the, some of the things that you you were, you were talking about and dig in a little deeper. Um, one, I think that there, I mean, just, just hearing that like full story, I don't know if I've ever heard you tell me directly that full story. I've heard bits and pieces. And, um, I was having a conversation recently with a friend, um, who ran track has state records competed on a national level and was talking about just like the insane amount of pressure and anxiety that leads up to is, and it's a similar sport in the sense of it's not like this whole game and it's like dependent on the performance of your entire team. It's like, it's an individual sport it's going to go by like that. And there's just mm-hmm. so much anticipation and anxiety and buildup that's, that's happening. How, how do you hold space for that in your head? <laughs> you know, like how, like talk to me about that, especially at that age. Cause like to start at such a young age, um, I think that's like a really, it's just an interesting thing to be able to start to cultivate at a young age. And it's such a yeah. valuable valuable skill to have is to kind of be able to, to separate things like that. Can you, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. So I remember my very first competition, I was, like I said, I think eight years old and it was on Snowmass mountain and it was a race. It was slalom. So you just literally had to turn around gates. It wasn't anything (laughs) crazy. I wasn't flying off jumps or like going down a border cross course. I was by myself, well, it, going around the gates, I'm by myself. And so 
I was the youngest girl. So that's just the way that the starter put people out. If you're the youngest female, you go first and then all the females go and then the youngest male will go and then et cetera. So I remember starting at standing at the start gate and crying because I was so nervous. Yeah. And my older sister, Alex comes up to me and like felt, you know, she's four and a half years older. And she was like, Oh my God, like, you're going to be fine. Just, you know, deep breaths, just try to get down. And, and that was my, just, that's how I got introduced to competing. And I think it's very real to have those nerves and those feelings and spoiler alert, they never went away. And so, of course, as I got more accustomed to competing and as I got older and more mature, of course, I learned tools to deal with this nervousness and the stress and the anxiety, because as an athlete, you you train you major, a majority of your life and of your career is training. And then you have those one, those few events each year, or each season, whatever your sport is to to all of a sudden have your training workout, perform at your highest potential and, you know, hope to win. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of pressure in that as well. Besides the pressure that you feel from yourself, maybe your coach, um, your friends, your family, your community, whatever it is. So there's pressure coming on you from many, many angles and aspects of your life. And yes, you do need to learn how to control it. And for me, obviously repetition and getting those experiences, like getting those competition experiences under my belt was really helpful. And so for some, I could go into them and not feel as nervous, but the ones that meant so much to me, like when I was younger, winning nationals, like going to the nationals or going to junior worlds or going to world cups or X games or, you know, um, Burton opens as I got older they all meant so much to me. And so I felt a ball of anxiety. And so what I developed over the years was a routine. And I think that was really instrumental in helping me deal with my anxiety of the future of what could happen tomorrow in my contest. And what I, my routine essentially was, well, one, I would practice my runs on a training day, I would mimic a competition day. I'd Mm. say, cool, you have 30 minutes to warm up. Then you have two runs and you need to nail your run. So I put myself in those high pressure situations and mimicked it before they happened and mimicked it to the best of my ability. So that would be my training day prior. And then of course, you know, that night I would whether it was like a very, very light spin at the gym or just something to keep my, or yoga. It was a lot of, I did a lot of yoga. I still do and eat healthy, wake up early, do my visualizations. Visualization, I say, actually I do at night too. I did at night before. And that's something I learned at a very young age from my, one of my first coaches, Maya Wheeler at Aspen Valley Skiing Snowboard Club. He taught me about visualization and it's a tool I keep this day outside of sport. And so I would visualize my run at night. I would visualize, wake up the next morning, eat healthy, stretch, do a little warm up, visualize again, you know, make sure I have plenty of time to get to the mountain. And then I would be like, cool. Now you have 30 minutes to warm up and now you have two runs to nail it. And so I had already mentally prepared for the competition and that in itself, just having a standard routine really helped me set myself up for success. Of mm-hmm. course, we're an outside sport. There's weather, there's, you know, delays, there's injuries from other athletes. There's a lot of things that derail you. And so those, you have to be agile. And I think having, being able to breathe <laughs> is a very easy and essential thing that I did. When I would hear that, hey, we have an hour course delay, they're like, well, I can't do anything about it. So I'm going to go breathe. I'm going to go visualize. I'm going to go maybe remove myself from the scene and just kind of be in a place that I feel comfortable. So I'd say between routine, visualizing, and just knowing that stuff is going to come up 
and there's going to be curveballs and being agile enough to deal with those curveballs. And I think it does have, and that comes with experience. And I think that comes with just trial and error. Mm-hmm. And that's really what my experience was with that. Hey, yo, popping in real quick to tell you about my latest obsession, Lotus Way flower essences. Hear me out on this one. I have been using these daily since April and holy cannoli, I'm loving them. We met at an event in Arizona and they were like, hey, are you interested in experiencing more clarity, focus and peace? And I was like, "Uh, hey, yeah, those are some of my favorite things that I help people find too. And I would always love more of that. So I've been using their elixir, their spray and their oil. The elixir is my favorite. It's like a tincture that I put in my morning beverages and my water throughout the day. Then I also mess myself down with their spray and of course anoint myself with their oil in the afternoon. Basically Lotus Way is a very easy way to add some nature back into your day, breaking up some of the interference and negative effects of our digital lifestyles. As a solopreneur living a downtown lifestyle, I need all the easy nature support I can get y'all. So this has been amazing. Like me, you might be wondering WTF is a flower essence, Sheena. I did some research so we can all understand the difference between these and essential oils. Flower essences don't have ascent and they work through the acupuncture meridians. It's a liquid infusion of a flower or a plant's chi or life force, whereas an essential oil is distilled and extracted from the plant into a highly aromatic oil. So they have this super dope flower quiz that you look at the flower, see which one resonates most with you, which helps you figure out which of their remedies would be best for you. It's so much fun to take. Y'all know I love me a quiz. So if you want, you can head over to check them out at www.lotuswei.com forward slash one day and use the code do it now to get 25% off the month of August. That is a steal y'all. Now back to the show. I love that. I think just to give some context to our listeners, um, we're recording this the day after the election we don't know who our president's going to be right now. And like the collective energy right now is, I think, something that honestly, I don't ever recall experiencing in my lifetime. And, um, you know, people are stressed, people are feeling pressure, people are having a hard time, like, holding that space for themselves. And I think what you mentioned and where I've always loved our conversation is how how well you've been able to translate the things that you learned from being an athlete into, into, into things that support you in your day-to-day life now, right? Like having a routine, knowing to take care of yourself, visualizing and focusing on what you want and staying flexible to something that like might not be exactly what you thought it was going to be, um, are all things that listeners can, can start to implement for themselves in any sort of situation where they're feeling pressure or there's a fear of the unknown or what might happen tomorrow or et cetera. And, and I just, I've always loved your ability to correlate that for people and really like share your lessons through that. Um, you mentioned visualization, which I am a huge fan. If you have not been on a vision quest with me yet, I highly personal plug recommend it. Um, but I, in, in workshops, when I work with clients, when I take people on vision quests um, or lead a vision quest yoga class, um, I, I often help people connect the dots back to like, this is what, this is a technique professional athletes have been using for a very long time. And um, the idea of thinking through something before it happens is really powerful. There was a study back in 1995 um, where the piano study is what I call it. Basically very long story short, the, um, the study had a group of people actually play chords on a piano, um, for a couple hours. And then it had a second group do the exact same thing, but just like mentally doing it, not actually doing it. And they recorded what was happening in the brain, same thing. So when your brain is really, truly focused, you can't, um, distinguish between the external environment and the internal environment. And I think, you know, that, athletes have been hip to this for a really long time. And it's something that the general population, regardless of if you're trying to make the Olympic qualifying team or not, can really use to their benefit because what's happening in your brain is you're, you're deregulating things like, um, 
your stress response. You're, yeah. you're reducing the amount of cortisol and adrenaline that naturally comes up the first time you've ever done something because your brain now thinks that we've done this before. Um, right. so I love that you still use visualization and, and I think one of the, the, the interesting things about your story that you shared earlier is like, um, when you fell and what you were thinking about and a, I just also want to pause and acknowledge your vulnerability to like, to be able to talk about like things like that on a large scale takes a lot of courage and, um, it's not easy. Like, let's talk about how I didn't make this thing is, is not an easy thing to do. And yet so many people are able to relate and to really learn from you in that. So thank you for, for being so open and honest. And, um, I want to talk about how maybe what you were focused on there, um, led to, led to that, that, you know, air quote failure of a goal and kind of that transition. So, um, you mentioned that don't fall, don't fall, don't fall was what was on repeat in your head. If you, if you could go back, what would you say instead? You know, I, yeah, I mean, there's there's so much power in your vocabulary, whether it's in your internal dialogue or what you are actually saying externally. And what I would have shifted and what I wish I knew, because back then I didn't know the power of my words and my thoughts to that extent. Mm, and totally I would have shifted to something like you got this or like land, 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 mm-hmm. just that just anything that was more concrete, more positive. There's so many ways I could have shifted it, but it probably would have been land, land, land. Because when I, when I say that in my head, like, honestly, I can, I, again, vividly remember that time so, so well. And I feel my, like what my body was doing still to this day. And I know if I would have said land, 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 I would have known to stop rotating early, land on my toes and right away switch and or right away into the next jump. And so, yes, I wish I would have known that. And I wish, of course, well, for a very long time, I thought I, I would have obviously made the Olympics. Like I wish I would have. And that was a a big struggle because I think a lot of it was when I didn't make the team, you know, I I competed for 16 years of my life from eight to 24. And I thought I, the Aspen community is so tight knit. And in that winter Olympics, like four other Aspen people went to the Olympics. And yet here I was just like, well, I'm on the sidelines. Like I'm nobody. And that was a really tough transition for me. And looking back at it. And of course I thought I let myself down. I thought I let my coach down, my family down, you know, all my friends down. And of course, like the community, as I mentioned. And so what I've come to realize since that like failure, of course, I mean, for a year, I was like, yeah, I failed. I didn't go to the Olympics. Like who the hell am I? What, what good did I do my whole, that was 16 years of wasted time and energy and whatnot. And what I've, I'm, so thankful for that experience now because I don't, I wouldn't be where I am today if I didn't have that experience. And if I didn't have to get through that monumental failure in my life, because now I've gotten through it. I'm well on the other Mm -hmm. side Mm -hmm. and I've learned so much from it. And by just shifting my perspective and it wasn't easy at first, it took time. Like I said, I, I, for a year or two, I, I felt like I was just a failure and it was really hard to shift my mindset around it. And I just kept telling myself, I was like, okay, there, through that process, there has to be a silver lining. There has to be a silver lining. Like there has to be a silver lining. Like why did this mm-hmm. happen to me? And fast forward to where I am today, I going, th- having that failure, going through it, making it through to the other end has allowed me I don't know, like, I feel limitless at this point. I'm not afraid to fail. I'm not afraid to try something new. I have Mm -hmm. the courage to 
do really what I want and what I feel is best for my life and like personally or in my career. And I think that was the best lesson I could have learned through that. And being able to shift my perspective to seeing that now has opened up a whole new viewpoint of, of life for me. And um, I'm extremely grateful for it. I love that. What, what would you say to someone or have you said to other athletes, you know, you mentioned earlier that support and resources for athletes transitioning out of their career into like identity loss is a real thing. It's like a very real thing. I experienced it coming out of a job and, you know, athletes, you hear about it regularly and like, what, what tips would you give someone if they're at this point right now? I mean, 2020 has obviously shaken up a lot of things for people and, um, lost jobs, lost family members. Like there's just, there's so much right now that's happening in our world. And, and if, if you could speak to the person that's out there, that's like in the shitty spot right now and is having a, a tough time seeing why this is happening to me or what's the purpose of this, like, what are, what's like a tip or, some of the things like the tangible things that you did to help move yourself out of that space. So when I, well, one, I mean, right off the bat, I think it's really important to have compassion for yourself Mm. and to know that life is hard and people go through hard things, of course, and it's not fair. And to just have compassion for yourself and know that like, Hey, if you, if you're trying your best and you want to do your best, that you can do that Mm -hmm. and that you can be that person. Um, but that, that was hard for me. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not like, Oh, just snap a finger and you're fixed all of a sudden, or you have this new philosophy and outlook on life. And I guess with having compassion for yourself and two, it's like, it's going to take time. And I think if you're committed to that new personal discovery and finding out like who you really are at your core and what lights you up, what gets you out of bed in the morning, what excites you, even if it's a hobby or if it's an old part of an old job that you had, or if it's connecting with people, like start discovering that about yourself. And it could even be something as easy as like, Hey, you go, you go through your day whether you're working or not, whatever it is. And at night, reflect on like three things that you loved about your day. And again, it can be that, hey, I just want to, I worked out and I felt wonderful after, hey, I connected with an old friend or, hey, I did this like really great, you know, marketing class, whatever it is, reflect on your day and just start writing things out like journal, just get to have that self-discovery and really begin to understand what lights you up as a person and what you feel like you want to do day in, day out. And again, it, it takes time, but that's something that I think really reflecting on like your day each day and it'll become easier. And I truly believe that you're going to eventually have a more clear path to like what you want to do next. And you're going to be able to shift your identity from who you were at that old job or who you were for this old relationship or who you were for, you know, as an athlete, like I was snowboarder Jordy for God, 16 years of my life, more, you know, for a long time in my life. And it's okay to be like, you know what, that's, that's no longer my life it's okay to give yourself permission to like release that and let that go. And it's not going away forever. Mm -hmm. And those experiences that you had and memories that you had in that time in your life, whether good or bad, aren't going to go away, but it's okay to give yourself permission to be like, yeah, you know what? Like that was a great time in my life. It's now behind me. And all I can do is take it day by day and focus on what I can do in this moment to get me to where I want to be in the future. And if you, again, you don't know what that is, that's okay. Just keep doing those like self-discovery exercises, like the journaling and just thinking about like, what lights you up? What, what do you, who do you love to be around? Where do you love to go? What do you love to do? Mm, That's so good. 
That's so good. There's, um, have you heard the theory of bright spots? No, I haven't. Um, I'll see if I can find the article and send it to you afterwards. Um, maybe link it in the show notes. Who knows? I think we'll we'll have those. (laughs) (laughs) Um, it's, it's the idea of, you know, with the negativity bias as humans, we're really focused on finding what's not working. We're really good at knowing what we don't want or focusing on those negative aspects of our day um, and letting that kind of control the narrative. Um, But if you start to look for bright spots, like what is working here? Like what, what are three things that did work about my day? It it could be the tiniest thing Um, and like follow those breadcrumbs Um, because it's, it is, it's challenging. I, I mean, even now I, moved to Denver six months ago and I cried hard for the first time about it last week. And it was, it was ironically over not being snowboarder Sheena anymore. And for the record, the listeners, <laughs> I am not a competitive snowboarder. And for a long time, like my goal, my focus was to move to a mountain town so that I could snowboard regularly. And that could be something that I learned to do and incorporated in my daily life. And now I'm in this whole new chapter and I'm not buying a ski pass for the first time in nine years. And I'm like, who am I? What am I doing? And I, and I had to come back to that space of like gratitude. And it's like, she's never going away. I'm going to remember how to snowboard when I get back Mm -hmm. at some point this season. And being grateful for what it, the drive and the journey of getting there and knowing that like you can recreate that all again in a different direction and add to who you are and what you're capable of doing and really staying, staying focused in that, um, bright spot lane versus the, how bad this sucks lane. And it's, it doesn't make it, doesn't make the sucking not valid. Right. By the way, like I never want to invalidate if you're in a tough spot right now, if you're listening, like that's totally valid. And you mm-hmm. do have some choice and some agency and the perspective that you choose to carry forward with what's happened for you. So, um, well, should we, should we tell the peeps what you're up to these days? Sure. I'd love to know more. So do you mean my podcast? <laughs> I do. I do want to tell people about your podcast. <laughs> okay. I do. I do. Um, yeah, well, as I mentioned, um, I'm in real estate and it's been, again, I think going back to just what we were previously talking about with kind of the identity and it took me, I retired, it's 2020. I mean, that was six years ago that I retired from snowboarding and literally in the last two years, I found what I feel like I can do for the rest of my life. And so that was four years of discovery. It was four years of constantly trying things out and, you know, having things not work out, having things work out, but it's all these like experiences that I've and lessons I've learned from being an athlete to, again, my personal development kind of shift uh, between 2014 and 2018, that really helped me discover like who I am and what I love to do. And within that shift, I, as I mentioned, I, I did some coaching and I loved the entrepreneur aspect of things. Like I loved, I felt so accomplished when I could just have one little success in my business, whether it was getting one new client or sending like one new email or whatever it was. And so that led me again into real estate. And I think that's being where I am today in real estate is it's what I loved. It's it's part of what I loved as an athlete, that competitive kind of challenging nature. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's what I learned as what I loved about when I was coaching um, with the entrepreneurship. And so where I'm at today combines like so much of what I've, and also like, I love people. I love hearing stories. Like that was a huge part of my life is just getting to know other people. And of course, growing up in the Roaring Fork Valley, I I have that, you know, the, the local awareness and knowledge. And so I get to share this place that I've grown up in the place that has led me to have amazing memories and experiences with other people. And all of my past life experiences like just are now in one. And that's why I love real estate. That's why I chose it. And um, so that's what I'm up to 
normal <laughs> seven days a week, you know, eight to 8 PM or Sundays I have off, but, um, and I've been loving it. And, uh, with that, you know, obviously we've, the whole world's gone through some tough times in the past eight months since March and, or even before that, when COVID was really, uh, hitting the international shores and, you know, having a podcast was always a passion project of mine. And again, I, I felt like it's a way that I can share my stories and interview people about mindset and goal setting like yourself and having that vision and also like all things with current events and how it relates to business and personal development and real estate. So that's what I'm up to on the side. And it's been a really fun journey. And, um, you know, I think it's for me, I'm always the type of person who wants to just I'm constantly, I'm very happy where I am in my career, but I'm also, I like to seek new challenges. I like to to try things out, try on new hats, as I like to say. And um, this is one that I've felt is a challenge. And I think it's really good to continue to challenge yourself and make yourself uncomfortable. Totally, totally. And I've got to say like, um, one, I am obsessed and inspired by innovative companies. And I think Compass, um, from what I know and understand of them, um, is really doing an amazing job of disrupting the real estate industry. Um, and I think that you particular, I mean, obviously, if you guys haven't picked up on this yet, I'm a Jordi Karlinski fangirl, <laughs> just facts. <laughs> and I, I feel it's interesting because, you know, in this conversation, I'm really linking up like our timeline. And, you know, we met in 2016 when you were very much in this like exploratory, figuring things out, finding a new identity, carving a new path for yourself. And, and you have always struck me as the type that it's like, she's going to be fine. She's going to be more than fine. She's going to crush it when she finds that lane. And even until she finds that lane, she's really inspiring to watch because she's vulnerable. She's real. She, um, she shares so that other people can like learn along with her too, which I, I really admire. And now seeing you um, a couple years into this, this career path has been just so amazing because I think that you wouldn't normally like, like think of combining like snowboarding mindfulness and real estate, right? Like, how do you do that? And to yeah. see how you've done it. And um, I don't know, I haven't bought a house yet. And I I've heard that the process is, a large one. And so to have someone with your skill set that has really like dialed into like what their gifts are, what their strengths are, and what they're passionate about is just so amazing. And um it's been it's just been so cool to watch, Jordy. It's been so cool to watch and and how how you show up, how you educate people about real estate, I think is um it's just so helpful. It's like I don't know if I will ever buy a house from you because I don't know if I'll be in Aspen, if that's where I'll land. And like the education that I've gotten from you just on the side about buying houses. Like if I ever come across someone who's thinking about it, I'm like, Jordy, you must talk to Jordy. You must talk to Jordy. Just like, even just for like the resourcefulness that you offer and like the ability to just like really help people understand and guide them on a massive like life goal for most people. You know, home ownership is, is definitely one of the bigger goals um, that I've seen in all of my years of doing Envision goal coaching yeah, and, absolutely. and to have someone with your level of compassion and like wanting to, um, really guide and coach them through the process versus just make a transaction, which it, yeah. I think the industry was getting a little bit more that way. Um, I, I think you've just done a really tremendous job with it all. So. Oh my gosh, you are so nice. Thank you so much. <laughs> Very yeah. complimentary of you. I really appreciate it. Of course. Well, I, I literally mean every single word. Well, thank you. And I, I you know, again, I, drawing a parallel from like past experiences. I, what I learned when I was coaching is that I love teaching. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really fun, I'm not, you know, the best teacher. And of course I'm not going that route, but it's a skill that I developed over a few years that now has helped me where I'm at today to be more educational and to be more, um, yeah, to just help people along the process and really explain it in depth and I don't know. I just feel like life is full of, I'm so of the philosophy that what's meant to be is meant to be. And 
you know, you, you're on this life's journey. And if you can just have a little bit of faith that it's all meant to work out, how it's going to work out, um, how it's meant to work out, that all your past experiences, the life lessons that you've learned are all going to, you know, work together eventually to create this wonderful life for you. And um, I don't know, that's just how I see things. I, I see things very similarly and <laughs> um, I love that. Well, I, I hate to say that our time is almost <laughs> coming to an end. Like how did that happen? Can we just make this a two hour podcast? Yeah. Um, I'm sure we could. I, <laughs> we totally could. I've got two, two more questions for you mm-hmm. to kind of round us out. What, what final piece of advice would you give for someone out there that's, that's just kind of getting into the work of vision and goals and has an idea of what they want for their one day? What, what piece of like starting advice would you give to someone for making their one day happen? For me, I would advise that dream big and set a big vision for yourself and write it down on paper Mm. and look at it every day. This is more than one piece of advice, (laughs) but dream big, remove all constraints like time, money, education, and put it on paper, look at it every day. And then part somehow it will manifest and happen. When I write my vision and I write my goals to lead up to that vision down, I am shocked that a majority of the time they, it happens. Yeah. And it's pretty incredible. And I'm a huge believer in that. And I mean, this morning I just did my business plan for 2021. I'm like with my goals and how I'm going to get there and my bigger Mm -hmm. vision for my business. But again, it's so relatable to personal life as well. So dream big. It's there's, don't be scared. Just freaking go for it. Send it. Send it. <laughs> to- totally send it. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Last, last question. Um, one, and this is, it's actually kind of funny what you mentioned earlier. So one of the things that I do every single night before I fall asleep um, is a gratitude practice. And I think of the three things from my day that I'm most grateful for and like specific things. So I won't make you do all three, but I'd love to hear something um, from the, your last day or two that you're specifically really grateful for. Oh, the last day, which as you mentioned yesterday was election day. I'm like, oh, God, I already what remember yesterday. <laughs> Um, just blacked out. What I'm grateful for is recently, and I, I think getting, you know, through COVID is the greater community of Aspen. Mm. I think in that encompasses a lot with the wonderful people that are here that are very supportive and the businesses. And I just feel very grateful for where I live and who I'm surrounded with. And that's something I think about almost daily. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> so, so where can our listeners find you and listen to so, your podcast? Tell us about yeah. that. So podcast is called Unlocked with Jordi Karlinski. It's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, etc. You can find me on my website, jordikarlinski.com. And you can also find me on Instagram at Jordi Karlinski. So Jordy Karlinski across the board. <laughs> Hopefully it's easy. Plug me into Google and I'm sure something will pop up. <laughs> um, and I highly recommend following her on Instagram. One of my favorite things is looking for Jordy's stories. She'll do these um, kind of like, which would you rather um, like house scenes? Yeah. And it's the most it's the most fun story that's out there. I look forward to those every time I see them, I'm like, Ooh, this one, this one, this one. So, um, you just have, yeah, you've got a lot of creative content. And if you enjoyed thank this you. conversation, I promise that you will love having Jordy in your feed. So thank you so much, Jordy. Thank you so, so, so much just for being who you are for, um, just, walking your walk and just showing up authentically for people. You're, you're really something special. 
Oh, thanks, Sheena. And so are you. And thanks so much for having me. I mean, as ditto to what you say, I always love our conversations. And um, I think there's always something special there. So thank you. Yeah, of course. And that's a wrap. We want to hear from you guys. So tag at make one day happen on Instagram and share your biggest aha moment or one thing you can take from this episode and put into action today. If you're ready to go to the next level, I'm currently taking on new one-on-one coaching and team development clients. Head over to www.makeonedayhappen.com to learn more and book a free breakthrough session with me. Your word of mouth is wildly appreciated in helping us share these conversations with the world. I get so many of my podcasts I listen to for my friends' recommendations. So if anything resonated with you today, send it to someone else who you think would like it too. I know that every podcast out there asks you to subscribe and leave a review, and that's because it really helps us get these shows out there. So please go hit that subscribe button, leave us a review. Every other week, we'll pick our favorite review and hook that person up with three full-size Lost Range products and a Make One Day Happen goal setting kit. A big thank you to Lost Range. Remember to head over to www.lostrangecbd.com and use code MAKEONEDAYHAPPEN for free prezzies and we'll give 10% of your purchase to Last Prisoner Project. We know you've got a lot of choices when it comes to picking a podcast out there to listen to, so we're so grateful you chose us. Until next time, y'all. Peace. This is Sarah Hubbard, host of You and Me Kid, a podcast about starting and raising a family on your own. We just launched season two, and I'm speaking with single moms, those still considering, and experts in relevant fields to give you a real sense of what the day-to-day experience of solo parenting looks and feels like. Plus, this season, I've partnered with California Cryobank, the number one sperm bank in the U.S. So wherever you are in the process, this podcast provides some support, humor, and helpful information. Listen to You and Me Kid wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you or your company are looking to jump into the podcast world, now is the time. The Plug Agency is here to connect you to the full power of podcasting. You just record and leave the rest to us. The people are listening and want to hear from you. Theplug-agency.com. That's theplug-agency.com. Click the link in the episode description for an exclusive offer.